Hey friends, welcome to the Advocate Like a Mother podcast. I'm Michelle. I'm Ashley. We are here to educate, empower, and inspire you to be the best advocate for your child. Today we are starting our two-part series on um, IEPs, which stands for Individualized Education Program with our good friend Sandy Ames. Stick around. episode is all about IEPs. If you don't know what an IEP is, either you don't have a child with special needs or they're under three, Uh, but we're here to tell you all about them. Um, Because there's so much information, we decided to break this topic into two episodes. Uh, Today, we're going to be discussing goals and assessments. You know, when people think of IEPs, you definitely kind of think of just the meeting, but uh, goals and assessments are kind of like the foundation uh, for the IEP meeting and the document itself. For us, when uh, Eli had his um, assessments, I did not know what to expect at all. Um, You kind of, you know, you hear stories uh, about, you know, the school district coming in uh, to where they're at their global program or you send them to a classroom. So uh, Eli ended up doing a program where um, I sent him, it was three days a week um, for three weeks. And he went in by himself, which kind of terrified me because I had no idea if he was going to be listening, if he was going to be, you know, doing to the best of his ability. So it was kind of, you know, scary not knowing how he was going to perform uh, without me being there, um, which is probably the best way to do it anyway when you think about it because I'm not going to be at school with him, obviously. And then as far as goals went, uh, the only goal that we really had for Eli is that we knew we wanted him to be included um, once he gets to kindergarten. And so I definitely made that known uh, to his assessment team. Um, What about you, Ashley? What about my IEP journey started in like 2014 after we had just gotten out of the hospital and just like you I had no idea what to expect I feel like the um the assessment is such an overwhelming process right. as a parent because they feel like they're just there to pick apart your child like mm-hmm. oh he can't do this oh he can't do this oh he can't sit up yeah, oh I feel very negative and it feels very daunting as a mother because you're like I know my child can do all these things mm-hmm. maybe they're just not performing today or maybe right. they what just sick don't or... feel like it right. or maybe they just don't know you yet so they're kind of shy right. um I feel like as a mother or anybody who's going to go into an IEP, uh, you need two things. You need prayer and you need positive mindset because <laughs> right. it's very uh, difficult. Um, we went through the whole IEP process with Ryder and I honestly decided not to send him to school then. He was only three and I was very scared of if they would take care of him and if they would know how to do his G-tube or if I could trust them. Um, I'm somebody who's such a helicopter mom. It's really hard for me to let my guard up and just send my child to school. It's very terrifying when your child has gone through something like Ryder had gone through right. and it's just this whole new world. And he's um, your first child too. And it's very scary sending yeah. any child to right. school because you just don't know. And like you, you're like, are they going to perform when I'm not there? Right. And honestly, they do do better when we're not there, which is kind of <laughs> hard on my heart and makes me a little bit sad um and I just it's just a a little bit of an overwhelming feeling for me from our first IEP now I feel a little bit more um 
educated, but it's still nerve wracking right. and scary. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we're so excited about today's guest. She is the director of CAN, which stands for Collaborate, Advocate, Navigate. CAN is a nonprofit that provides education and support to individuals with disabilities, to their families, and to those that serve them. Uh, She's an incredible child advocate and parent mentor. I actually met her um, when I went to one of her free, yes, you heard that right, free workshops um, before Eli's first IEP. Um, it was, I think an all day workshop. There was so much information. Uh, it was so incredibly helpful. Um, she truly sets parents up for success. Um, we're super excited to hear from her. We're going to hear from um, her right after a word from our sponsor. Hey everyone. I'm excited to share with you about this great product made by the glory days company. Their founder, Amanda Cunningham, also a fellow mama raising a child with Down syndrome, has created the perfect tool for every parent, the Glory Days Daily Planner. It's designed specifically for parents loving and caring for their differently abled little one. Stick around for more details about this great product later in the episode. Hi, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself and your kids? Well, um, as you said, my name is Sandy Ames, and I am the proud mother of a 25-year-old daughter with Down syndrome. I also have a 28-year-old son who lives in Colorado and has made his life out there, sadly. Could you please tell us a little bit about how you became a parent advocate for your daughter? Sure, I'd love to. It's kind of an interesting journey, Um, probably not unique, but interesting because I was already in the field before I gave birth to my daughter. I started working in the field with individuals with disabilities in the mid-80s, and I was working with adults at that time, and that's when we started looking at community integration and getting adults out of the sheltered workshops where they would spend their full day and getting them into the community working in various kinds of jobs in the, at the restaurants or the grocery stores or all over the place, so it was real exciting. And then I moved on to work in different agencies and some mom and pop nonprofits. And when I gave birth to my first child, I went ahead and was an at-home mom for about six months before I got bored. (laughs) And I started (laughs) doing um, freelancing, working with a lot of the organizations that serve individuals with disabilities. So when I gave birth to my second child, my daughter Chanel, um, I was one of the fortunate ones because I knew what all the acronyms were and I knew what early start was and I knew all the people in all the right places. So I got her connected real rapidly. And great. continued my nonprofit freelancing for quite a while until uh, I became single when she was five, and then I had to find a job. So my first job that I took was working for the team of advocates for special kids, which was gave me the foundation of my advocacy understanding and developed me as a, an advocate. That's just incredible. At your workshop, you talk about um, a house metaphor. Can you explain that for sure. us? Sure. It's Basically, there's a lot of elements that have to go into providing an adequate program or defining an adequate program for a student. And the first part you already mentioned in your introduction has to do with the assessment process. And that really is the foundation. You have to make sure that everybody on the team is in agreement what the student strengths are and what their unique needs are. And if you're not in agreement, um, you've got a faulty foundation. So it's difficult to, to build your house. Once you do have a good understanding of of that and you have a solid foundation, then you can put your walls up, which is what I call the goals. And the goals are going to be the areas that they're going to focus on to help 
improve the child in those particular areas. And then the roof is the services. So that's how they're going to be able to serve the child and the amount of time they need with each therapist or in different minutes of this, that, or the other. And then the, the neighborhood is really the placement. So now that we've got our house, where's the best neighborhood for them to live? That's great. Um, That's a great me- metaphor. Yeah, I love it. It makes it. Yeah, I'm it a visual person. It so, I need so much that. better for the parents because I feel like as a first-time parent, potentially you don't know going into this that you're going to have all these ex- assessments and everything right. that comes with building your house for your IEP for your students. It's a great way to know. So I think a lot of parents, um, you know, don't know what our rights are. Can you give us just a, a quick, basic overview of what our rights are? Oh, that's, Is that possible? That's, that's a, <laughs> a lot to put into a capsule. But basically, you know, our children have the right for free and appropriate education. So that's if you just look at the words that go into that, you can see that the first challenge comes from defining what's appropriate. Right. So there's a lot of laws that go into defining what is appropriate in terms of services and emplacements and things of that nature. So that's one of the the main procedural safeguards that we have is FAPE. We also have the right to have um, parent participation, which is important, and that you're an equal member of the team. And that we also have procedural safeguards that are available to us in the event that we do have disagreements. So those are just some of the protections. In terms of rights, uh, you know, again, every child's different, so it's difficult, but anything that is identified as a unique area of need needs to be addressed by the IEP team, either in services or in goals or, uh, you know, variety of different ways. Ways that they accommodate them around the exactly. school. Exactly, exactly. In your workshop, you talk about um, a family vision. Uh, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, in the assessment process, when you were talking about how daunting that can be and and how you're not sure if they're seeing what your child really is to you, um, I developed what I call a brag sheet. Some people call them resumes. Um, and in that brag sheet, I ask parents to write out what their family vision is for their child. So just like with any other child that we would have, we should have a vision as to what we see them be as an adult. Where do we want them to be? What do we want them to do? And that kind of frames the path that we're going to follow. So for my daughter, I I always envisioned her living independently and having, you know, a a relationship and being in a career and being a part of her community. So to do that, you know, she needed to start out doing that. You know, that's, you have to be able to be exposed to the same opportunities in your younger days and all along the journey. So it's important that you frame your, your family vision so that the team understands why you might be asking for a particular neighborhood or a particular service or a support so that you they can understand what your ultimate end game is. So what steps did you take for your daughter then to make sure that her you know starting out in kindergarten was going to follow that path to what you saw her future as? Well, I actually started pre preschool. <laughs> so I again having been an advocate already it, it helped her and myself out a lot I think knowing the obstacles and the barriers that I was going to face and be proactive so she was actually already in a uh, fully included preschool at two and a half wow amazing. so that's great when it came to the time of the transition there wasn't a discussion about can she do it because mm-hmm. she was already doing, doing it. it the laws were quite different then um, back then they allowed uh, districts did support parentally placed children which is not the case anymore but uh, my whole philosophy for my daughter's always been that she's going to follow the same path that her brother did, have all the same opportunities, be involved in all the same activities of her choice. 
uh, not change anything based on our disability. And if there was something that was broken along the way, then we take a look at it. But right. that was the philosophy that we followed. So it was, I love that's a that's great, great way to look at the whole school experience. Because sometimes I feel like school is a little intimidating for parents because sometimes maybe we don't have that future goal. And I feel like that's something that I need to work on too with my kids is like having that ultimate goal at the end. Like, what do I want their adulthood to look like so I can help build their future for that? It's a great way to look at it. Well, and one of the things, you know, we all have to remember is that sometimes the educators or education systems built on what you call a readiness model. Uh And if you have a child with Down syndrome, the, the readiness model just doesn't work because the gap, if they stay in a specialized academic classroom, Mm -hmm. they're going to not be exposed to potential particular activities, curriculum, social opportunities, school readiness opportunities. So really when you're focused on developing a skill for a child with a cognitive delay, you're missing all kinds of other really important things that you're not going to be able to catch up on because you've lost that opportunity. So you you really don't have that opportunity to, to fulfill a readiness model. Right. So as far as um, setting small goals for the school year, what, what would a good approach be to think about for parents? Well, one thing a parent really needs to, to have a, a foundation on, again, is knowing what their child's unique needs are. Mm-hmm. So I recommend a lot of my families look into developmental inventory of some kind. It's There's a lot of scales that are out there that you can look at that breaks down the development of a quote-unquote typical child that would show what do they do in gross motor, what do they do in fine motor, speech, reading, writing, and all that, and really determine where you see your child. And that's kind of the same process that the district does, but as you kind of shared earlier, they're they're looking for where they fail, because that's where their their flooring is then. That's where they know that that person is, that defines their uniques. So starting uh, by looking at where your child's unique needs are, and again, once everybody agrees, you probably can't, with a child with Down syndrome, do address every area of need because right. they'd have a thousand goals. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you look at you know the ones that are most um, most necessary in writing. So maybe a couple of writing goals, maybe a couple of uh, reading goals, both comprehension as well as decoding looking at speech goals for kids with articulation issues, but also language goals, acquiring language, expressing language. And so, again, you just need to look at the areas of need and then give one or two goals in those areas. Right. One thing that you mentioned in your workshop that really kind of helped uh, paint a picture for me is you brought up the fact, you know, let's say you want your child to jump rope. You need to kind of go backwards and, you know, first they need to be able to stand, you know, then they need to be able to, you know, jump, jump. Yes. (laughs) And so that, that kind of helped click it for me. Like, Oh, okay. Like it it needs to be broken down. I can't just have this like huge goal for Eli this year. You know, it needs to be in, in bite-sized chunks. (laughs) And that's the importance of that developmental scale. And that uh, very nice educator brought that to my attention because I was having high expectations that, I wanted her to jump rope because I wanted her to have social opportunities, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really understand developmental growth. And just as you said, she needed to go through one stage before she was able to get there. Right. So that helped me be more realistic in setting my expectations. That's That's a great great way to look at expectations because sometimes I feel like you set yourself up for all these high expectations Mm -hmm. and then they're not 
meeting it and you're just wondering like what am I doing wrong but sometimes like you said we have to go back to the foundation and start there and then work out and then we can have those social interactive activities and all the other things that come with it we just have to get there first and we can get there it's just the little goals at a time and to have one big goal at the end right one thing for me um I noticed you know when we did Eli's assessments he was you know little under three probably two years ten months and you know looking at all the like you know they would say like he's you know doing this like a 10 month old he's mm-hmm. doing the, you know m- most of that was like pretty much his range it was mm-hmm. like 10 months and it was heartbreaking to look at those numbers what what's a good way for parents to be able to remove the emotion from that do you have any tips because I, I I don't think I do <laughs> Well, the first thing is to always make sure you get a copy of the assessment reports right. before you're sitting in the room with a bunch of people and they're they're reading those because it is going to be emotionally charged. Oh, for sure. And then I think just, you know, you get, as you go along the path, it it, it is less uh, sad. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's still things that I could probably look at in a seven-year-old developmental scale that still are challenges for my daughter and she's 25. Right. But mm-hmm. you start looking at their strengths more yes. and you start really focusing on their gifts and some of the things that they weight and measure just really pale in comparison to all the wonderful things that they are as, as they develop into who they're going to be. Right. But definitely getting that report, looking it over, um, crying, going through that process and, and, and letting then yourself feel those emotions you got a question for you is the assessment report the same thing as the IEP draft different correct well the assessment report would have all the information from the assessment okay. so they, they would have the standardized scores for if they did do an intellectual development they'd let you know where the academic uh, achievement level is okay. they'd let you know the fine motor all those different okay. areas and it's a summary report typically okay do know that you know you can ask for them to provide more information if you do in fact disagree you might okay. want to take a look at a protocol to okay. see what you know where your child topped out at and find out if, if again if, if it was the way they were presenting the test the standardized tests are tough because they are very 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 regulated and how they can ask questions and the kinds of responses they need so for children with down syndrome again and with cognitive disabilities we don't test well <laughs> they right. just don't test well no. so that's where it's again important to to look at them over, and then the second step would be to look for flags. Again, right. if you see in an area that they're telling you your child doesn't know any letters and you know they know all 26, right. then you might want to come prepared with a video right. of your child or you know, looking again at it's, how was the question presented and did they understand the direction or where was the breakdown and having those dialogues. But we go from the emotion to the empowerment right. of now that I, I, love that. I, I know how to be proactive mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I love that. Um, what are some ways that parents can prepare for the assessments? Um, I know you mentioned earlier brag sheets. Um, after your workshop, I made one for Eli. <laughs> and it's great because you said, you know, it takes, you know, they're no longer seeing your child as a number. It's, you know, they see like, you know, on the brag sheet, I included pictures of him with his sisters. And we talked about, you know, his favorite things to do. And so, you know, what are some other ways that parents can prepare for the assessment? Well, in the brag sheet, not only is there the, the vision, but definitely lots of pictures, like you said. But you also want to identify areas that you want them to consider to look at for the following year. So that's kind of what you would say that you're seeing their challenges as. Where would you like them to focus? And then you just the brag part is, again, share about all their strengths because you want them to be able to teach to the strengths as well. Yes. So that's really important. When you have a young guy, you also uh, want to look at the time of day that the assessment's going to be 
being done. Right. You know, you if it's you want them to be the sterling kid that you know they can be, you're not going to take them at nap time. No, <laughs> and you no, know, no, no. You, you just you have to really look at your timing and and share with the team if you're a lot of young guys have difficulties with perhaps. Um, you know, a person's color of hair or mm-hmm. an accent or whether or not they're a man or a woman. Yep. So you want to make sure you share that with the team if that's an issue. Writer uh, he- has major difficulties with that. His last yeah. year speech teacher was a man and he refused and protested the whole entire year. And this year she just started and she's a woman and he's been doing phenomenal. It's incredible the things that potentially you don't really pick up on but now that you're saying it it does make a huge difference because the majority of his teachers and therapists are all women and he does exceptional with them and then when a man comes in it kind of just changes everything for him they think that it was the tone of his voice that just didn't sit well and it just made him not happy but it's interesting lots of environmental factors Mm -hmm. that's for sure the one thing you too you want to do is in when you get your assessment plan it'll indicate the assessment categories that they're going to be doing and you you can't ask for an exhaustive list of what those tests are going to be but you can ask for ideas of what kinds of tests they're going to be using they're not required to to have it set in stone okay but you would want to know what kind of a like again if they're going to do intelligent intellectual development you're going to want to know what kind of an assessment if your child's not verbal then obviously you want to make sure they're using a nonverbal assessment and really understand what what tests they are going to be administrating and how they're administrating them so that, again, you might have some additional feedback for how your child can really shine. You know, maybe they need some incentives. Maybe they need a break at a certain amount of time or ways that, again, um, environmental things that will help influence that. That's great. How do you know or how would parents know if they qualify for certain things like one-on-one aids? Uh, the aid thing is a Pandora's box that there's a lot of different reasons why you might need an aid. Um, having had an aid from my daughter throughout her education, I'm not so 150% committed to the fact that that's what our kids need okay. necessarily. Um, it is necessary in a lot of cases, but it was for her a buy-in so that these teachers who had never done it before knew that they had an extra pair of hands. Right. But in that position, the aid position, it's a person that's providing a service and a lot of time those people feel that to do their job well they're got to be Johnny on the spot Mm -hmm. and they tend to hover or they tend to fix things for their the child because they want the parent to be proud of the work and so they my aide one time or not mine my daughter's but (laughs) one time corrected an art project right in front of me you know the the eyes were on the feet or something of that nature and and I just watched that and I just wanted to cry because she didn't understand that I wanted her to have you know, it had to be her product. Right. And so, not theirs. Yeah. And so the aid, I, I think that there's a lot of kids that benefit from that, but it's difficult to find a really good one-on-one aid. Um, to determine what a person needs, it's again, that would be that house. That's that service. So once you've decided what your, your, you know, levels are and you build your goals, then you have to look at how are you going to serve that child? So if you're going to be serving that child in a, in general education classroom there might be more of a need for a one-on-one support or an extra instructional support in the classroom that could be geared towards your child but still allowed to work with other students as well that's a real good model Um, in terms of speech services or OT services it's again going to be looking at their unique needs what are the uh, service the number of goals that they have and then how much therapy they would need to meet those goals so far, um, as far as asking for things, is that something you wait for 
the actual meeting for, or is that something you can ask for beforehand? Like if you know your child needs something, can you ask the assessment team about that? Well, you would start again by identifying that you feel that this is an area of need. So if you're looking at occupational therapy, then you might say in your brag sheet that you're concerned with their fine motor control or their sensory reactions to things or something of that nature to let them know that's an area that you're concerned about and that then would fall under uh, occupational therapy. So once they do the assessment, they'll make a decision as to whether or not they see that as a unique need. And if it is and they've identified it, then that child will be served by that particular therapist. Okay. So, but it's very important from the get-go to give them an idea. I'm not a believer in, in, you know, the hidden card. You know, you always just (laughs) want to make sure you're letting them know what's in your mind and in your heart and let them know what you're concerned about. And hopefully as a team, you guys will work together to make those decisions. And I feel like we all have to work together as a team because sometimes it feels like they're on their own team and then you're coming in on your own team. And when you actually mesh together, it just makes the magic happen for our kids at school because sometimes it does feel like we have to go in with our guns blazing and abdicating like a mother because sometimes they don't really take us seriously or it seems like sometimes they just push those needs to the side like oh we think that this should be their goal versus what the parents think should be their goal and that's when you have to really facilitate and learn to work together and say like okay well if this is what you think and this is what I think can we meet in the middle somewhere and then work you know around the student that's well one of the reasons I call myself not only a child advocate but a parent mentor is it's I really believe strongly in the power of the relationship of the team so I'm, I'm more based on collaborative resolution building kinds of techniques than I am on litigation. Um, that's not to say I, I haven't walked through mediations and things of that nature with my families, but that's a, a last resort. I found um, when I got that nice little gift of the Brigant's inventories for me to learn about the development of my child, mm-hmm. um, back then I was in fear and I was aggressive. And so people were shutting down and Mm -hmm. I was bringing tools to people that I thought were the tools that they needed to use and I finally realized that's a little bit disrespectful because I'm not a speech therapist I'm not an occupational therapist I'm not any of those roles I'm mom but I had to to respect them for them to respect me Mm -hmm. so once we were able to collaborate and we were able to to discuss things I think probably the the year that that happened the most was first grade. It was, again, uh, the teacher didn't understand inclusion. The aide that was fixing the artwork didn't know about inclusion. I probably had a vision that was different than theirs. And so we were all frustrated with each other. And one day the teacher came and just said, I'm, I'm so frustrated and I'm so sad. And, you know, I cry every night that I see the gap getting bigger mm-hmm. and I don't know how to fix it. And all of a sudden the light bulb went on that I realized this teacher had a a vision that was completely different than mine because she wanted to fix the gap. And I realized the gap was going to exist. And that's not how we Mm. weight and measure. And that wasn't my goal. And so we finally had a chance to sit down with the principal, all of us. And she uh, walked us through a, a really emotional meeting where we came out realizing that we had to be talking as a team. And after then, we were able to be stronger. And we were able to work together and we could disagree. Yes. But you just like any relationship, but you have to be committed to, to finding the solutions together. You do. And you have to be involved. You can't just have the meeting and then just not be involved at all. That's why I love popping into my son's school. I haven't done it to my daughter because she's 
still learning, but I love to go into a school and I love to talk to the teacher and the speech therapist and the occupational therapist and know what they're doing and collaborate. Like, this is what we do at home. Let me work on this at home. Or this is what we do at school and this is what we work at home. And you tell me how I can help you and I'll tell you how you can help me. And it just works so amazing. Another really good tool is working not only um, for your student in the school, but it's like filling the karma cup. You've got to, to be a part of the PTA. You got to be a part of that school community. You can be a room mom. You can, you know, do whatever it was. When my daughter was in kindergarten and I found myself single, I had no time, but I knew I needed to be visible. So I asked the PTA president to give me a job that didn't require any work. <laughs> <laughs> and she let me be the name, uh, the name tag person. Okay. So I was visible and yeah. I was personable and I met the community through that experience. And then as I, you know, got stronger in my, my foundation again, was able to take on a lot more involved roles and it it was the key because everybody knew me knew my daughter and you know we 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 had those relationships it's nice to have those relationships it's awesome going into the school and every single person knows your daughter and they know you and it's just amazing yeah just like any other kid yes (laughs) so let's go back um, a minute and talk about the draft um iep um when i asked for eli's they kind of acted like I was crazy. Like it sounded like they had never really had anyone ask for that before, which I found surprising, especially since you told me to <laughs> at the workshop to make sure to ask for it. Um, I think so, that's wild that yeah. you had to ask because honestly, in my IEP experience, I have not had to ask, although they do send it like two hours before the IEP. Oh my goodness. Realistically. That's crazy. And I'm like, how am I supposed to prepare yeah, for you this? Can't you prepare barely just sent hours. this to me, but I've never had to ask, knock on wood. But it's... <laughs> So what, what's the best way for parents to ask for that without making them think you're crazy? <laughs> well, well your, your experience, Michelle, isn't, you're not the only one that that's happened to. And I think that sometimes, especially when the kids are younger, they, they are a little bit fearful to give parents information that mm. they think they won't be able to digest properly, Okay, which is really kind of a slam, right. <laughs> saying, you know, but, um, what I suggest to people is they go ahead and send an email. Emails are considered, you know, documents that right. can be tracked and just send them a nice little email saying to help me prepare. I'd appreciate if you sent me any progress towards goals or proposed goals or any other thing that you might want to discuss at the meeting five days in advance so that I have the chance to prepare. And then that that would be the anticipation. But just as you were pointing out, Ashley, it could be two hours before that you get it because <laughs> these people are drafting these sometimes at the eleventh hour based on their own time constraints. Right. But letting them know if it's if it's an annual IEP, I'd let them know when you're setting the meeting date. Let them know that that's going to be an expectation. So once you've okay. got that date, you know, okay, if it's going to be on the fourteenth, I need these by the ninth. However, you know, you want to communicate that to them. In a triannual, you would let them know because you're going to give them the brag sheet. They're doing the assessments all through that process and let the assessors know that that's going to be an expectation so they'll know they need to have their reports done ahead of time. Okay. But they're not secret documents. And it's there's not really any firm timeline in IDEA that tells you how soon you can get them. But okay. it does say that parents should have the material beforehand. It also does say that you have the right to any documents, what is it, five days beforehand in California okay. under FERPA. And so you can request any document that's got your child's name on it or is affiliated with your child. The problem with that is some of these assessors, again, are doing it at the 11th hour or the teachers writing the goals at the 11th hour. So they might not be documents that are ready or exist. Right. But the other part is, again, um, 
the law does say that parents have to be equal members of the team. So if you're ever challenged, you would respond, well, how can I be an equal member of the team if I'm not familiar with the, right. the information that's going to be discussed just as in any business meeting? You don't want to be the only one sitting there reviewing a contract that everybody else has gone through with a fine-tooth comb. Right. right. And then it just makes you feel like you're not prepared. And then it makes you feel like you don't have all your tools that you need to come to these meetings because sometimes it's a, it's a lot to take in as a parent to go to these meetings and to have all this foundation and the assessments. It's like, I need this paper so I can prepare myself because maybe I don't agree with one of these goals or maybe we should just change it just a little bit. Or maybe, you know, I, I know that my daughter needs this and this is what I'm going for. So we all need to meet here in the middle. Yeah. It helps you be proactive. Yes. Yeah. And it helps you not feel like you're the only one who's missing out because all of them talk and they communicate and they all talk about what the goals are going to be and what they think is best for the student. And then it's like, I need to be included too, totally. because you know, I want to be just a part of it as everybody else. Yeah. So when I finally did get, you know, the draft IEP, it was overwhelming. It was so much paperwork and yes. just so many words. And so I actually hired you, Sandy, to help me. Um, and you went through it and you actually did see some red flags. Um, can you maybe tell the parents listening, like what, you know, if they, if they can't, you know, have someone go through it, if they get it two hours before and they're quickly scanning, like what are some things that they should be looking for? Well, first off, you want to make sure, again, that with a goal, you're always going to be given a baseline. So the baseline is the present level that the child is at that time. So you want to make sure that, again, that's your, your foundation. Is the baseline the same as I see? So does if the goal is written that the child's going to learn all of their letters and the baseline says they know none of their letters, but you know they know all 26, then that's going to be your first flag. So mm -hmm. you're going to want to look at all the baselines and make sure that you agree with them. And then you're going to look at the goal itself and see how they've written that goal. So you want it to be written in a way that uh, is going to be measurable, which is really important. So you want to make sure that you don't just say you want them to improve to read. You need to be defining what part of reading is it that we're looking at. Is it decoding? Is it comprehension? And so you really want the goal to be very specific. Okay. And the other thing that I have kind of a bellywick with is I don't like to see goals written under... Uh, say 75% accuracy or four out of five trials. A lot of people dummy them down. And so that kind of concerns me. If you have to dummy a goal down, then you need to rewrite it mm -hmm. and look at a lower skill so that child can be successful. You also don't want to have too many elements into a goal. So you, you, you know, they might say that they're going to, uh, let's see, uh, start initiate a task within 30 seconds, they're going to be able to write their name on the paper, they're going to be able to complete the task completely independently and then turn their paper in. So those are really four different skills. So it seems to make sense in that, but you want to make sure that if they do write it that way, that they're going to be measuring each of those different elements of the goal, because it could be they break down on just being able to write their name. Otherwise, they would have been successful in the goal, if that makes sense. Yes. So always looking at, you know, again, do you agree with the baseline? And is the goal written well? And also that your baseline information is the same as the goal. So if, if you write a goal that you want Sandy to be five foot five uh, you, and she's weighing X amount of pounds in the baseline, that doesn't give you the detail you need to see where you're starting from. So mm -hmm. those are just some of the basic things that you could look at. So obviously, you know, there's so much information that goes into an IEP and we're going to... Um uh, Sandy has graciously agreed to do a second podcast where we're going to talk about the actual meeting. Um, we're actually going to take a break and hear from one of our sponsors right now. We'll be right back. 
Hey everyone, let's talk about the Glory Days Daily Planner. I've got my hands on the planner right now. Here are the features that jump out at me, the weekly therapy tracking pages, the daily self-care check-ins, and the meal planning. The Glory Days company partnered with 55 moms raising a person with different abilities to make sure this planner was functional for our unique and complex schedules. The best part is they're donating a portion of the profits to the Down Syndrome Diagnostic Network. Check them out today on Instagram and Facebook, The Glory Days CO and thegloriedaysco.com. Thank you so much, Sandy, for joining us today. We still have so much to talk about. Um, in the meantime, how can people find you? For right now, the best way is just to email me, and the best email to get to me would be parentscanoc at yahoo.com. P-A-R-E-N-T-S-C-A-N-O-C at yahoo.com. Okay, so we'll be finishing up today's uh, discussion in our next episode. We'll be discuss- discussing the actual IEP meeting and the actual document. Also, we're going to be including um, in the notes, I did a blog post um, all about Eli's very first IEP. I just kind of included all the things that I wish I would have known before his first IEP. Thanks so much for listening today. As always, go to advocatelikeamother.org and sign up for our mailing list. Follow us on social media, Advocate Like a Mother. Please subscribe to Advocate Like a Mother and review us on iTunes. Thanks again, friends. Bye, friends.